This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. Today, we are in week two of a new series that we have called Unchained from Mark chapter 5. This is going to run us um, all the way at least up to Easter and potentially a week or two after. But what we're exploring is how Jesus comes to bring complete and total freedom to us. And so in Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20, we find a story of Jesus going to an unlikely place to bring freedom to an unlikely man. And what we're asking each week is if Jesus did that then, what does that mean for us now? And what we're finding is it means in the same way that Jesus brought complete and total freedom to this man, so he intends to bring complete and total freedom to you and I this time and at this place and with everything we're dealing with. And so what what I want us to consider today, we're going to be in Mark chapter 5, verses 2 through 5, and we're going to explore this idea of this isn't working. Um, How many of you can think of a time where you've had to express this idea, this isn't working, right? Maybe it was a relationship. Uh, you know, think back to your, your dating days if you're married, your current days if you're not married. Um, you know, and, and this isn't working. Is, um, it's either a way out or it is an unwanted statement from somebody you really thought it was working well with. Maybe you've heard this statement at work before. A boss, a supervisor, a manager, the business owner has called you in and they've told you, this isn't working. And you've said, what? And they've said, you, here. Like, and you know, like, this isn't working means I'm not working here anymore. And so, so you go out. And definitely when you were a kid, your parents might not have said it this way, but you had thousands of this isn't working conversations with your parents, right? Maybe at some point there was one of your elementary school teachers that called your parents and let them know this isn't working. And your mom said, what? And they said, your child in my class. Like, they're, they're literally not working. I can show you their grades. There's nothing going on there, right? You had this, or maybe like me yesterday, um, I made the mistake of tackling a home improvement project. And I said this on all three trips to Ace Hardware. I said this when I had to go to a neighbor's house at 8 o'clock last night to get the one last pair of channel lock pliers I needed to finish the 30-minute project that I was now an hour three and a half of, right? You just had those moments where it's, this isn't working. But what you understand is typically this isn't working is hopefully followed by some kind of solution. And what we're going to see this morning in Mark chapter 5, especially verses 2 through 5, is sin brings us to the point where we have to acknowledge this isn't working. I can't handle this on my own. I can't fix this on my own. And when we're brought to that place, Jesus shows up to bring us true and lasting freedom. And so the the first couple weeks that we're working through this, we're going to read the the story in its entirety. So Mark chapter 5, we'll start in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, it will be here on the screens for you. Speaking of Jesus and the disciples, Mark writes, They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. 
For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs and allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. Now, as I said, we will focus primarily this morning on verses 2 through 5 and see that when we try to manage our sin, we have to come to the conclusion that it's not going to work. So beginning in verse 2, it says, When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. Now, this portion of the story paints a very vivid picture for us of why Jesus came across the lake in Mark chapter 5. So we talked last week in Mark chapter 4, Jesus was teaching on the beach on the side of Galilee where the Jewish people lived. This was home turf where he was at that time accepted and people were excited to hear what he had to say. But while he was there, he decided, I'm going to leave here, I'm going to cross the lake, I'm going to go to the region of the Gerasenes, which is the region where Gentiles, people like you and me live, the unclean part of the world. So Jesus goes across the lake, and when he arrives, he encounters a man. And Mark's description is, is really important for us to understand. He says, he encountered a man in the region of the Gerasenes, so we, we know he is most likely a Gentile. He was possessed by an impure, other translations say evil spirit, and he came from among the tombs. So what Mark is telling us is Jesus has crossed the lake to encounter a man who hits the trifecta of uncleanliness from a good Jewish perspective. He's a Gentile, so he's already outside of the community. He's possessed by the evil spirit, which pushes him further outside of the community. And he lives among the tombs, a place where no good religious person would be caught dead. <laughs> Get it, right? Yeah, so I don't know. So, you know, sometimes, well, yeah. So anyways, so this is who he goes to. All right, now we talked last week of Jesus crosses the lake, and part of what he's doing is he is showing disciples and he's showing us that he has come not just for good religious people, but he has come boat. He doesn't immediately arrive in a village or a city, but he's kind of on the outskirts of town and there's not a crowd waiting for him. There's not a people group waiting for him. There's a man waiting for him. So what I want you to understand this morning is Jesus is making a grand statement about his mission when he crosses the lake to go to this region, but he's also making a personal statement about his mission. 
You see, when we say Jesus came to unchain us from ever, those are not just cultural chains. He didn't just come for humanity in this broad sense, but Jesus always comes for individuals. He always comes for you. He always comes for me. And so as I read this story, it's not just a story of what Jesus did. It's a story of what he is still doing. He still shows up in unexpected places for unexpected people, and that includes me. Now, the story is also meant to point us towards the unmanageable nature of our sin. Jesus crosses the lake to arrive and minister to a man who cannot help himself. As we saw in this description, and we'll explore it more throughout the morning, of he is, he's been driven to the point of madness by the evil that lives inside of him. And so it's, it's presenting to us with a picture of if evil is unrestrained in your life, this is where it's going to lead you to, right? And, and, and so we, we kind of push back against that because we live in a culture that doesn't talk a lot about evil, um, definitely doesn't talk a lot about the power of evil, and really doesn't talk much at all about the pervasive nature of evil, how it just keeps clawing and clawing and clawing away until it's destroyed everything. In fact, if you think of most of the stories that you love that involve some form of evil, evil always loses in the end. Your, your favorite movies, your favorite books to read are the ones where the bad guy gets what's coming to him at the end of the movie. Right? I, I, would, I would guess most of us would not say my favorite movies are where the bad guys get away. I love it when they just stick it to the good guy one last time and they ride off laughing into the sunset. Like that's not, if those are your favorite movies, we have a prayer room after service that you should go to because something dark is going on in there, right? And, and you, need, you need to be there. But, but for most of us, we, if we think about evil, we like it controllable, we like it containable. Mark chapter 5 forces us to acknowledge sin and evil are unmanageable. You cannot manage it. And, and so kind of, again, what we're thinking of is why does Jesus come? He comes to do for this man what he cannot do for himself. He comes to do for this man what people in the region might not even want Jesus to do. He comes to do for this man what the disciples don't fully understand why Jesus would do. And yet Jesus shows up because he knows this man has been brought to a point where he has no hope at all. He's completely outcast. He's completely alone. He is tormented. He is hopeless and helpless. Jesus has to show up. And so, so I've, I told you last week, I'll tell you again this week, as we work our way through Mark chapter 5, you're really going to want to identify with Jesus in the story every week. Right? Of, hey, I'm on the side of Jesus. I'm the one who gets out of the boat and proclaims freedom to the captive. And, and if you follow him, you will be. Sometimes you'll want to identify with the disciples of, hey, I, I rode Jesus across. I brought the good news to people who needed to hear it. And, and sometimes you will be. But before you do any of that, each week I'm going to invite you to identify with this tormented man in Mark chapter 5. And what I need you to understand this morning, and, and we're just going to come at it from a couple different angles, is that if evil is left unrestrained in your life, you will become just as unmanageable as he was. And, and for people in America in 2022, in a largely middle, upper middle class culture, that is deeply offensive, right? Because we know Jesus came to save us. We know there were problems that we have that we needed his intervention, and yet we are also fairly confident in our own abilities, right? We're, we're fairly confident, like, Jesus, I know you came to seek and to save that which was lost, and, and I'm lost too, 
but I'm, I'm just kind of lost. Like, I'm doing okay. I'm not like this guy. I'm not running around the tombs. I'm not shrieking in the night. I'm not cutting myself with stones. I'm not in rags. I'm not an outcast from society. Like, Jesus, I'm pretty good. Now, there are some people, I think, that, that could use your help in that way, but I'm not one of them. And we begin to believe this little lie that the enemy plants in our hearts of, hey, you know, sin for you is actually kind of manageable. You, yeah, you follow Jesus, but it's okay for you to dabble in some of these other areas because you actually are a disciplined person. And you can handle a little bit of temptation. You can deal with a little bit of sin. You can fight against a little bit of darkness. And if we begin to say it out loud, we realize how foolish it sounds. Because in effect, it's saying, Jesus, I know you had to leave heaven, come to earth. You had to live a sinless life. You had to suffer, die on the cross, be resurrected from the dead so that I could be forgiven of my sins. And yet, Jesus, I want you to know I've got some sins in my life, but I'm okay. I've got a good education. Jesus, I can handle this. I was raised in a good home. My parents gave me some good principles. Jesus, I can take care of these on my own. What Mark chapter 5 is forcing us to admit is evil is unmanageable. Sin is unmanageable. It does not come to coexist. It comes to conquer. And our only option is to surrender. And you're either going to surrender to Jesus or you're going to surrender to sin. There is no middle ground. Surrendering to Jesus leads to where it led this man, sitting dressed in his right mind. Surrendering to sin leads to where Jesus found this man, outcast alone at his wit's end. But, but what I want us to think about is, is even in the story, we're given some clues that they tried to manage this man's behavior. And so, so what I want you to understand, if evil is unmanageable, then sin management is a joke. Right? Every attempt you make to manage sin is an absolute joke. So, so just kind of let's, let's keep this picture in our mind. Do you ever read the stories of the people who keep dangerous animals for pets? Right? Like the guy who had the lion, the woman who had the crocodile, the people who thought a cobra was a nice one to sleep with. Right? And, and how do those stories always end? And then the lion ate its owner. Right? And then the crocodile bit her arm off. And, and sometimes if you read in the comments of those stories, there's kind of a mix. There's a few sympathetic people who are like, oh, that's so sad. I bet they had a nice relationship. That lion probably had a trauma from when it was a baby that caused it to do that. And then there's the normal realistic people who are like, what did you expect? Lions eat people. Crocodiles bite off arms. Cobras attack. It's what they do. It's in their nature. It's who they are. And so what we're thinking of when we're thinking of sin is there's going to be a, a lie from the enemy that, hey, look, you're going to hear all this today, but Chris is just talking to those other weak-minded people who are here. He's not really talking to you. You're strong. You're disciplined. You've got this under control. Besides, if you let it out, it might get kind of messy, so don't listen to him. Don't listen to that. But, but I'm just telling you, it's like you're sleeping with a cobra. It's not going to end well for you. Right? And, and, and when it goes poorly, you're going to act surprised. And everyone else is going to say, what did you expect? Of course, if you play with fire, you get burned. This is how it works. And so, so in this story, this man, he is, he's driven mad. Right? No one can control him. The evil inside of him has overwhelmed every part of his life. And Mark shows us how the people of his community have responded to him. And, and in their response, I think we see some of our response to sin as well. 
In verse 3, it says, The man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot. So, I, I don't know, do you have anybody, you don't have to raise your hand, anybody have like the crazy uncle, the crazy cousin, the crazy person you went to school with, the crazy guy in the neighborhood, the, basically the warning story that your parents told you growing up, right, of like, hey, maybe, maybe it was the cousin, of like, hey, if you don't listen to me, you're going to wind up in jail like your cousin, right, if you don't eat your vegetables, you're going to go crazy like your uncle, Right? If you don't, and, and so they just kind of fill this in. If you don't finish school, you're going to wind up like them. If you don't take this seriously, you're going to wind up. This man was the warning story for the whole Decapolis. For the, the 10 cities in that region, he was the one that the moms told their kids at night, you better stay in your bed. <laughs> listen, you can hear him. He didn't listen to his mom. He used to get up at night. Right? There's that. There's, there's a, maybe the, the teachers are telling them in the school, hey, you guys, I know you don't think this matters. You know who the last person was that didn't think it mattered? Just go see him up in the tombs. You can hear him at night. You can... He was a warning story. Now, now, culturally, what is happening here? We'll get into this in a, in a couple weeks because when this man is ultimately delivered, instead of celebrating Jesus' power, the culture rejects Jesus. And one of the things that's happening is they know as long as evil lives in the man in the tombs, it's maybe a little bit farther away from me and my family. And so their response when they've seen his evil, their first response was we're going to control him. And so it says they bind him with shackles and chains. They bind his hands, they bind his feet. They decide, like you and I often do when we encounter sin in ourselves or in someone we love, we're going to control it. And I'm just going to, if I just kind of, if I, if I wrap it up real tight and I shove it off in a corner, it's not going to bother me anymore. And so culturally, this is what they did to the man. They thought, okay, we'll, we'll chain him up, we'll hide him away so he doesn't have free reign, he can't pop in people's houses, he can't roam the streets of our city. We'll just kind of chain him up and put him away. And for us, we think we can control sin in the same way. We try to control it in all kinds of ways. We try to hide it, we try to ignore it, think, oh, if I just don't talk about it, if I don't think about it, I don't have to deal with it. We try to medicate it away at times of, man, if I, if I drink enough, if I smoke enough, if I get enough prescriptions, if I get someone else's prescription, if I can do some of these things, I can get myself into a state of mind where it doesn't bother me anymore. Some of us, we try to entertain it away. We just think, hey, I know that evil is in there, but I don't want to deal with it. And, and one of the ways I don't have to deal with it is I, I'll, just, I'll just binge watch everything all the time. And if I never stop and have a moment of quiet, I don't have to hear that voice. I don't have to deal with those things. And we, we've got all of these variations of control. We do it with ourselves. We do it with others. Parents, when we see something in our kids that we don't like, most of us, our first response is, you know what they need? They need another rule. I bet if I gave them some more rules, they'd be a better person. If you're in charge of anybody at work, you've had the same temptation of, man, I, I see they don't show up on time. I see they're not following through. I bet if I just put another policy in place, then that would help them. But you have learned from your own experience, you've learned from the experience of others, you cannot control sin, right? Because you might chain it up, you might put it away, but it, it always wiggles free. It always breaks out, and that's what happens to this man. He breaks free of the chains that they've put on him, and so then when they can't control him, their second attempt is we're going to isolate him. And so, so it says that he lives among the tombs. Now, there are kind of two schools of thought here for why this man lives among the tombs, and, and probably the, the truth is somewhere, some combination of both. The first school of thought is he lives among the tombs because the evil inside of him is so dark that he's drawn to the darkest place in his culture. 
which at that time would have been the tombs, the graves, the cemetery. The second school of thought is he lives among the tombs because he's been driven out of the cities and towns of the region. When they know they can't control him, their next response is, we just got to get him out of here. Right? And, and so if he tries to creep back in, they run him out of town again and again and again. So the only place that he can find is out among the tombs and in the hills. Now, at that time in that region, people would often leave food offerings for their dead ancestors at their graves. You still see it in different parts of the world today. And so this man lives among the tombs. He's most likely able to stay alive by eating the food that people leave behind for the dead. He is completely isolated. He's completely rejected. He's completely alone. And again, the people of the city feel somewhat safe because we've pushed him out from among us and we don't have to worry. And yet they still hear his shrieks in the night. They still have to encounter them when they go out for a funeral. They still have to go out and, and see him when they're doing something at one of the tombs of one of their grandparents or parents or ancestors. You see, they can't isolate him completely away from their community. He's always there, and he's a reminder of the unmanageable power of evil among them. For you and I, again, isolation. We think, hey, if I can't control sin, maybe I can isolate it. If I can't get it out of my heart, maybe I can bury it down into this one little corner and only let it out when I know it's safe. And, and, and so we, this kind of takes some different forms where we begin to think, okay, if I, let's say I struggle with addiction. Maybe I drink too much. And, and for my whole life, drinking too much has, has primarily taken place in bars. And so one of the things that, that we decide, we kind of follow common sense, and we think, well, if, if I drink too much in the bar and then that fuels the addiction and that's where the alcohol is, then I'll stay out of the bar. And that's going to work for a little bit until you discover the addiction didn't live in the bar, the addiction lived in you. Or maybe you struggle with jealousy and you just, you, you just can't hardly stand it because you've got so many successful friends, right? And they're pretty and they're smart and they get good grades and their kids get good grades and they go on fun trips and everything seems to go their way and it just eats you up inside. And you know it's not right, and you know you don't want that in your life, but instead of dealing with it, you decide to isolate it. So you say, hey, I'm a jealous person. You know what I'm going to do? I'm, well, first, I'll just get off social media, right? Now, that might be a good thing, but then what are you going to discover? You're going to discover jealousy wasn't in the algorithm. Jealousy was in your heart. And so you're still jealous when they start to tell you their story. So then you're going to decide, well, I've just got to get worse friends. Like, I, I just, I need to be friends with less successful people. I need some uggos in my friend group. I need some just people that, you know, are struggling, falling apart. I just need to feel better about myself. And, and, and maybe that's going to work. But that jealousy is still going to live in there. It's not going to go away. Or maybe, maybe it's lust. And, and you struggle with lust. And it's got you bound up in some serious ways. And, and you've reached the point where you recognize this is unmanageable. I've got to do something about it. So you decide, I'm just going to isolate it. I'm going to get the internet filter. I'm going to cancel some of those apps. I'm going to step out of that relationship. And, and again, all of these things are good and helpful. But the lust doesn't lie out there. It lies in here. And we could do this again and again and again with every form of sin that you and I have ever experienced. And ultimately, what we come to understand is that external solutions will never solve internal problems. And so, so the community, they've decided this man is a problem. The evil in him is a problem. He's scary. He's intimidating. We've got to get him out of here. So let's control him. Let's wrap him up tight. Let's bind him with chains and irons on his hands and his feet. But they can't. 
So then they say, let's isolate him. Let's shove him out to the outskirts of town. But he is still part of their community. He's still around. You and I will always experience the same thing. Until we deal with the underlying sin problem, we're stuck in an endless and frustrating cycle of sin management. And sin management might bring temporary relief, but it's just prolonging your eventual destruction because you're living with something you were not intended to live with. You're bargaining with something that is not interested in bargaining with you. You're trying to coexist with something that is determined to destroy you. And so as we keep reading through Mark chapter 5, we see all of their attempts fail. And as we consider our lives, we can, we can see the same thing. Of, I cannot manage the sin out of my life. To try to do so, is just, it just delays the inevitable destruction that's coming. So as we keep reading his story, we, we see this truth that sin always destroys. It says, he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. One of the, the most damaging lies that we're tempted to believe about sin and about evil is that it's just not that powerful. And, in, and we, we like this idea because it minimizes the things that we're dealing with in our life. So, so think about how we, how we commonly talk of sin. Right, what do we call it? We, we rarely call it sin or evil. We say, you know, I've, I've, got a few, I've got a few areas I'm struggling with. I've got some hang-ups. I've, I've got a couple flaws like everybody else. I've made a handful of poor choices. Right? I, I doubt very many of us lead into a conversation of like, I just need you guys to know I'm really uh, wrapped up in some acts that lead to death. Just really, really. The works of the flesh, strong in this one, Right? <laughs> Uh, the, the wages of sin, I feel like I'm earning them. I'm getting overtime. Like, we, we, don't, we don't lead with that. What do we do? We're like, hey, bud, can, can I talk to you? I've just, there's just a couple things I'm struggling with. There's just a, a, a couple things here I'm not real proud of. And, and what, what do we do? Now, I understand some of that we're searching of, is this space safe? Are you a person I can actually be honest with? But also what we're doing is we're trying to minimize the impact of what's really going on inside of us. And we're trying to say, hey, no matter what, I'm not going to wind up like that guy in Mark 5. Like, his was different. He was possessed by evil spirits. Right? I, I'm, not, I'm not there. But we just need to stop and understand for a moment. That's where we're headed. If sin is left unrestrained in your life, it will destroy you. This is what Jesus tells us in John chapter 10, verse 10. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The enemy comes back to us. He's like, not so much. I'm just here to kind of inconvenience you. I'm here to hold you back a little bit. I'm here to slow you down. And, and we believe those lies. But Jesus is very clear. Sin will steal, it will kill, and it will destroy you are trying to manage something that wants to be the master of your life. And destruction is the ultimate destination of every sin. So you can't play with it. 
You can't think that you're going to manage it. You can't think that I've got this under control. You can't think that you're different from everyone else at every other point in time. You have to understand, if you're messing with it, it will kill you. The desperate picture of this man in Mark chapter 5 is supposed to remind us of the desperate state of our lives without Christ. Who are you without Jesus? You're not a slightly worse version of yourself. You're not someone who needs just a little bit of help. You are a person on the path to destruction. And that destruction will not just impact you, but it will filter out into the world around you. And so again, the enemy comes, he says, hey, no, don't worry about it. This sin won't destroy you. You're going to be okay. But Jesus is making it abundantly clear to us. Sin always destroys. It always steals what God has for you. It always kills his plan for your life. And without Jesus, it always ends in your destruction and the destruction of the world around you. You, you might have, have heard this idea before. It's one I've heard it at different times. I honestly don't know who to attribute it to, or I would. But there's this, this real little statement that helps us think about the, the power of sin. Of Sin always takes you farther than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to stay, and costs you more than you want to pay. Right? And, and so I just want to, let's think about this for a minute. Right, sin always takes you farther than you want to go. When I was a youth pastor, one of the, the most common things I would tell our teenagers is, please, please, please don't believe the lie that what you do at 13, 14, 15, 16 isn't going to affect you later in life. Because right? that's what the enemy's telling you. If you're in college, he's telling you, hey, just have fun right now. It's cool. Don't worry about it. Like when you're an adult, then you can be serious. When you get married, then you can be faithful. Right? When you get a job, then you can be disciplined. But for now, you just go ahead and do what you want. It's cool. It's fine. It's done. Right, or he comes to us maybe later in life and he says, hey, look, I, I know you probably shouldn't do this, but life's been really hard. You deserve a little break. People would understand if you behaved in these ways. But, but what do you find? It always takes you farther than you wanted to go. But when the enemy grabs a hold of you, he puts you on a spiral to destruction. And you just go from one level of darkness to the next level of darkness to the next level of darkness to the next level of darkness. So he takes you farther than you want to go. He keeps you longer than you want to stay. Somewhere on that descent, you decide, I want out of here. But you've become so caught up in it. Your relationships are now defined by your sin. Or maybe you're at the point where you think, and now I've, I've gone so deep into this, if I tell everyone, it'll ruin all of my relationships. And so you feel stuck. You feel captive. You feel like there's no way out. You feel like this man in the tombs, if I run into the city, they're going to kick me out there. If I stay out here, I'm tormented night and day. You're hopeless. You're lost. And then the, the last thing it reminds us of, it always costs us more than we can pay. Right? One, of, one of the most tragic ways that I have observed people really start to get a grasp on the impact of their life is when they, they give in to deep and messy sin. And they start to see how far the ripple effects go. Because the enemy comes and says, no, 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 it's only you. This is just a you thing. It's not going to affect your spouse. It won't affect your kids. It won't affect your friends. It won't affect your work. It won't affect your school. And yet when, when sin gets its hooks in us, he's not looking just to destroy us. He's trying to destroy the world around us. This is an awareness that personally I live with every single day of I am never just resisting temptation for myself. 
I'm resisting temptation for my marriage. I'm resisting temptation for my kids. I'm resisting temptation for you. I'm resisting temptation for the name of Jesus in my neighborhood, for the name of Jesus in every place where I'm known. I'm resisting temptation for all of my friends whose lives are attached to mine because my sin is never my sin. It always pukes itself out on you. It always touches and contaminates other people. Right? And so, again, we, we just come to these stories and we read through them so quickly and we're like, that's cool, Jesus healed him, life's great, let's go. Before that, let's stop and just consider why does Jesus go? Jesus goes because sin destroys. He crosses a lake because there's a man who went farther into evil than he could have ever imagined possible. Because there's a man who's been held captive longer than he ever wanted to be and because it's cost him everything in his life. So Jesus crosses the lake. For you and I, you might be here this morning and you're thinking, I, I get it. I get it. You do identify. You identify with that sense of desperation, that sense of loss, the aggravation, the frustration of I fought this, I've dealt with it, but it's got its hooks in me and I can't get out. Or you might not be in a cemetery. You might have a big, beautiful home, but it feels like a cemetery inside. Because it's dead, it's quiet, it's cold, it's lifeless. You might not have been run out of town, but, but there's a distance in every relationship that you have because there's a darkness that you won't talk about, but everybody feels. And in that space, there's, there's this point of fear, and we're going to talk more about it next week. When Jesus shows up in the darkness of our life, there are two internal reactions we have that go to war with each other. One of them says, Jesus is here. Let's go fall at his feet and let him help us. And the other one says, Jesus is here. He might torment us. Let's run away from him. Right? And, and so we'll get into that next week. But for this week, where I want us to settle on is that obviously you can't manage your sin. Obviously, it's too strong for you. It wreaks havoc in ways you couldn't imagine. It sinks its hooks in deeper than you ever thought possible. You cannot get out of it on your own. And yet we still fight that temptation of instead of confession, I would like to manage this. Because I'm still not real sure I want to let it get out in the light. I'm still not real sure of how people will respond to me. So, so instead of being open, instead of being honest, instead of coming to the Lord in genuine repentance, instead of submitting myself to a community of faith and letting them help me find wholeness and healing, I'm just going to kind of keep it tucked away. And I'm going to try to control it. I'm going to try to isolate it. And I'm going to try to do my best to keep it to myself for as long as possible. The last thing I want to tell you this morning that I think we learned from Mark 5 is don't tolerate what Jesus wants to annihilate. He didn't cross that lake to make that man feel a little bit better. He didn't cross the lake to teach him how to comb his hair and put on clothes. He didn't cross the lake to teach him techniques to soothe himself when he felt like screaming. He crossed the lake to annihilate the evil that lived inside of him, to drive it out completely and to restore him to his right mind. And he does the same thing for you. When Jesus sees the sin in your life, you need to know a couple things. First of all, he already knows it's there. There's no darkness in your heart, in your mind, in your relationships that is surprising to him or unknown to him. Secondly, he knows it's there and he is still moving towards you. Your righteousness is not what attracted him to you. Your helplessness did. And so he's coming to bring you new life. He is coming to bring you absolute freedom. 
And then the last thing you need to know is he is fully capable of destroying everything that holds you captive. Everything that binds you up. There is nothing you're dealing with that Jesus can't destroy. In fact, I I would go so far as to confidently tell you, there is not a sin in your life this morning that someone else in this room has not already experienced victory over. You're sitting, even this morning, you're sitting here thinking, nobody does it, like nobody's done it like I've done it. Nobody's been hurt like I've been hurt. Nobody's experienced what I've experienced. Nobody's done the, the outrageous behaviors that I've engaged in. And I'm telling you this morning, in these rows, there are people who have been there, who have done that, and who are now walking in victory because of what Christ has done. You're not isolated. You're not alone. You're not the only. You won't always be there. Jesus is here. Our response is just, I'm not going to tolerate this anymore. I'm not going to manage this anymore. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to control it. I'm not going to believe these lies that I can do this on my own, but I'm just going to come and surrender to Jesus and say, Lord, you've got to come. You've got to come into the darkest spaces and bring light. You've got to come into the most hopeless spaces and restore joy and dignity and worth. And we see him do it again and again and again and again. If you'll stand with me, I want to pray for us this morning, and then the, the band's going to come back. They're going to lead us in a couple songs, reminding us of the victory of Christ and, and our response to it. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? First of all, if, if you're here today or, or with us online, and you have never made the decision to surrender your life to Jesus, I want to encourage you today, you can do that. It's, it's a very simple prayer. You're just praying, Lord, will you forgive me of my sins? I believe that you are the son of God and I want to take my place in your family. And with that short, simple prayer, you move from darkness to light. You receive the full life and power of Jesus at work in you. So if you need to do that in just a moment, I would encourage you head out to the prayer room. If you're online, let us know at christianchapel.com slash prayer. We'd love to celebrate that with you. And then the, the second response I want to ask you for this morning is if you're in a spot where you know there's some areas where you're still trying to control or isolate sin. Today, I'm, I'm going to take a moment and I just want to pray a prayer of freedom over us. So if, will you do me a favor all across the room? Will you take your hands? Will you raise them high, low, whatever you got to do? Jesus, we come to you today and we acknowledge individually and collectively that we are powerless to defeat sin. Lord, forgive us for managing what you have determined to destroy. Forgive us for thinking that our attempts at control or isolation are better than your promise of freedom. And now, Lord, you see the way that sin has placed its hook in us. You see the dark corners of our heart. You see the spaces we don't want to talk about and we hope others never discover. And right now, we invite the conviction of your Holy Spirit into those spaces. Jesus, we believe that you are coming not not to condemn, but to free. And so, Lord, I pray in this moment that you would break chains of lust that you would break chains of bitterness and rage, that you would set captives free from jealousy, from envy, from greed. Lord, that every addiction would fall at the name of Jesus, that every form of destruction would be broken away 
by your presence this morning. God, you see us, you know us, and you created us to be free and whole. And so now, Lord, today we come and we lay all of this before you. And we say, Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus, bring freedom to me. Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, restore me. Jesus, renew me. Jesus, rebuild what the enemy has torn down. Jesus, renew what the enemy has taken away. Lord, will you restore my heart? Will you restore my mind? Will you restore my relationships? Will you restore my joy? Will you restore my peace? Will you restore my ability to hope, my ability to believe, my ability to hear your voice and follow the path you're laying out for us? Jesus, we believe it's not just freedom from, it's freedom for freedom for the life that you have freedom for your purposes freedom for the future you have created for us so Jesus we come asking you to receive us to forgive us to set us completely and totally free in Jesus name amen thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel for more information visit us online at christianchapel.com